0: Well, good morning. I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors. I actually haven't been up here in a long time. I think I've been uh, four out of the last five Sundays. I've been in Explorers, and I've been on leading a couples retreat, and I've been uh, had two weeks of vacation, and um, so uh, it's, a, it's a joy to be with you. I am um, wrapping up our Hope series today. I hope many of you guys got a chance to read Hope. Many of you guys got a chance to read the book that uh, Ray Johnston wrote that we sort of loosely uh, kind of Tied our sermons together so that there was some discussion both directions. It informed your being able to hear God's word, and our sermon times and uh, worship times helped you maybe in your discussions uh, reading the book if you read it on your own or in a small group. But this is the Hope series that we've been doing. And it was uh, Ray's is about, uh, it's a raised book, it's about raising hope because we can't afford to lose hope because hope changes everything. In Ray's book, this last chapter that he did, it isn't the last chapter of his book, but it's the last of the seven middle chapters that we did. He talked about playing good defense. He talked about defending hope killers. Any of you get that far in the book and read this? And he even started with a verse about the enemy in the spiritual realms called Satan. And then he talked about these things that kill our hope. And as I read through the book, I realized more and more, even though he didn't talk about it too much, all of these hope killers are lies and schemes of Satan. And so this title today of my sermon is Hope Grows When We Don't Buy the Lies. We're talking about how we can increase hope, raise hope. And hope grows when we don't buy the lies that come from the enemy. I want you to see the definition of hope again. I want to tie it into this idea. Hope is a life lived in increasingly confident expectation that God's promises are true. Hope is a life that's lived into this reality, increasingly confident that what God has said is true. And, therefore, God's promises are true that he's going to act in our lives and he's going to act in our world. And this, my friends, is why I so totally believe in this enemy called Satan that the Bible describes, because I can see his efforts to do exactly the opposite of this. He wants us to not believe in God's promises that they're true, to not believe that God's going to act in our lives, to not believe that God's going to act in our world. He wants us to buy his lies about God and life. Yep, I'm coming out of the closet right now. I believe there is a devil. And not everybody believes that. I know for whatever reason, maybe because it's the little uh, Halloween costumes and the pitchfork and the little red tail or whatever the deal is. There are so many people who are willing to believe in God and believe therefore in the spiritual realm but can't quite bring themselves to this little devil idea. And I don't know where that happened. But I'm here to sort of tell you that I have all the confidence in the world that the Bible describes a present reality, that there is an enemy of our souls who precisely wants us to doubt the truth about God, that God's promises are true, that he will act in our lives, and that he will act in the world. This is why I believe that the devil is real. And so I'm going to talk about some spiritual warfare today. I'm going to talk about who this person is and how it impacts our lives, specifically how it impacts our hope. Now, I happen to know that some of you are pretty sensitive people spiritually in this room, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, that poor guy, he had to study and think about and pray about and prepare a message on spiritual warfare this week. He must have just gotten walloped. I had a fantastic week. I had a fantastic week because I was so on guard. I was so prayed up. I was so worshiped up. I was so claiming God's truth. I was so in God's word. I was so asking people to pray for my journey. Dudes, I've never been better. I got a little bit of a cold, but I'm like, really? Seriously, that's all you got? You little pinhead. That is all you got. (laughs) I believe that there is a devil who wants to take you out of a life lived in increasing expectation that God's promises are true. I going to tell you a story. You heard, I think, earlier this uh, summer, I, I, I think I shared about my back. And I know because a lot of you are so compassionate and have problems with backs. And it was the first time my back had ever gone out in May. And so all these people were just pouring out love and going, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that your back went out. I want to talk about that experience in May because how do you process that kind of a thing? I'd never had any back issues at all. We'd come off of a sabbatical. We'd lived out of the uh, sort of the sabbatical hangover of incredible joy and presence of God and vision for the future. We had just cast our last kid out of the nest, and we're living into who we really were. Linda and I were having deep and rich conversations about what it is we bring to the table in the kingdom of God, in each other's lives, in our kids' lives, in your life, in this experience. Uh, uh, You know, I mean, we were were really getting into it, right? And we were just starting to hit our stride in the next season of life, and out of nowhere, Tuesday morning at 9.30 in the morning, I went, oh, gee, I got to go home right now, or I'm not going to get home, right? And ended up on my back for two weeks on the floor. My wife giggled a lot when she had to help me go to the bathroom. It was terrible. <laughs> How do you process those kinds of things? Right when you're just starting to pff, take off. Now, here's a couple of options, right? Say, Satan walloped me and took me out. That's one way you can process that. Oh, man. Totally took a direct hit from Satan. Another way you can process that is God took me out. Or maybe God took me out for my own good. I missed some stuff that I probably would have been in there messing up, Right? And the third way you can process it is, well, man, there's a bumper sticker that says stuff happens. <laughs> and maybe stuff happens because I'm stupid and overdid it and I was living out of my, you know, Ben Kearns-ness and trying to run, you know, marathons. And so maybe it was my fault, right? And maybe it was a combination of all three of those. But here's the point. I'm never going to really know that, right? I mean, I don't think I'm ever going to really know, did Satan take me out? Did God take me out? Did God take me out with, did Satan take me out with God's permission, the way Job works? Is it like, um, dude, no, you put in too many miles on your bike. Like, like I'm not going to know that. But here's the deal. The reason I bring it up, I didn't, this isn't a story about a very real devil in the world who wants us to stop believing that God's promises are true and that he'll act in our lives and in our world. The point is not because I had a back that went out. The point is, the messages that came to me during that time, the lies that were spoken to my heart and to my mind during that time. Do you know what I'm talking about? When your head gets messed with when things happen to you. See, this is where I started to see oh, yeah, this is a spiritual reality because maybe God took me out and it was a full God thing. He's just like, you need, I'm, you're out, time out. But then Satan came along with his messages. To get me to doubt the truth about God. This is what the messages were that came with it. You're getting old. You don't have much time till you're dead. Give up. You've had your heyday. You had your day of strength and power and young manness. Coast, man. Do you hear me? That message came. Give up being connected to people or in their lives. It's too much work when you suffer like this. Just stay unconnected from people. Just check out. I got this message of don't bring your strength and your gifts to the church and to the world and to your family. Just check out because life, man, life is hard and you're suffering. Just check out. Just get whatever pleasure you can get. I'm laying on the floor. I got this idea of checking out. Of trying to be intimate with my wife. So if you have back problems, you know that is a problem. <laughs> On every level. Forget it. Too hard. I'm suffering. I'm pitying self-pity. I physically am not capable of certain acts of intimacy. Forget it. I'm pissed. Whoops, sorry, that's a bad word. Not in our family. <laughs> These are other messages. You're alone. When you lay on the floor for a long period of time, then after that you struggle and you got to keep going back and taking breaks. I mean, this went on, it was just two weeks. Then it was months of limited activity. You know what I'm saying? Just go check out, lay on the floor, whatever. Here's the message I got. You're alone. Because when you're alone, you feel alone. You don't actually have any true friends. This message came. You aren't appreciated for all you do. Why are you working so hard and trying to recover from this thing so much? Nobody cares about it but you're not really appreciated. Let it go. And this is one of the worst ones that comes when we're in our points of trials and stress. God has left you alone when you need him most. Have you heard that from the enemy before? It's subtle. Man, if you're a good Christian especially, you don't admit to, to, to that. You don't admit to that one. Oh no, he's my God and he's up in heaven and he's taking care of me. But even by that picture, somehow we picture he's up in heaven, and he's doing something, and he's too busy, and I've cried out for him to heal this deal, to fix this deal, to free me from this situation, to come through for me, and where is he? And deep inside, there's this little message that says, yeah, where is he? He's probably not real. And if he is, he's not concerned about you. Doesn't matter what, what happened with my back. I don't know. I backed into a lady at Starbucks a few, a few months ago on a, before a Sunday morning. Somebody's like, oh, well, that was spiritual warfare. You were going to preach. It was going to be all distracted. No, it was just because I'm, you know, I was enjoying my mocha. Like, I don't know. I don't know if that was the Satan, if that was God, if that was stuff happens. But the messages that come convince me that there is an enemy who wants to take us out of a life Love lived increasing expectation that God's promises are true and that he's going to act in our lives. Man, this was a medical reality in my back. There was, and I know, so I don't know what the cause was, and I know it's a medical reality because ibuprofen helped it. Like, so I know it was a real deal, right? And there was, a, and there was, some, uh, there, there was some help, medicine and sit-ups. So I know that it's a real deal. But the enemy used it to try to get me to believe in his lies and give up my hope. Anybody resonate with that kind of deal in their lives? We can't afford to lose hope for it changes everything. That's why I'm preaching about hope grows when we don't buy the lies. I want you to look at the text with me this morning. It's from Ephesians 10, uh, sorry, 6, verse 10. Here's the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, So that you may be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. That's the word of the Lord. I want to talk about the battle for hope. And before I talk about the details of this battle, I want to give you a little quick bio of Satan, of the enemy. He's a fallen angel. The details are sketchy, but his work is clear in Scripture. We don't know all the details. There's some stuff in like Isaiah 14, is it 14? Isaiah 14 and uh, Ezekiel, where there's some pictures like, is that a kind of a, like they're talking about the two different kings. One's king of Tyre and one's the king of Babylon. But is that like also a double meaning? Like it's also picturing Satan falling from heaven? Probably we think so, but we don't know for sure. We don't really know. All we know is that he's an angelic being who turned against God and took a legion of other angels with him. That's all that we know about him. So we don't really know all the deal. Like, why would he do that? How is that possible? Like, I don't know. But what we do know is that his work is clear in Scripture, that his efforts are clear. He's called Satan. He's called the devil. He's called the evil one. He's called the prince or... the ruler of this world, he's even called the God of this world. Jesus said, I bring you life, but it's him who comes, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. He tempts, the scripture says, he accuses, that's what his name means, he's the accuser. And if you want to go back and study Job and see that in all interaction, that's interesting. Satan is pictured in a number, both Old and New Testament, in places that he accuses the believers to God and he accuses us. That's part of his lies. Who do you think you are living for Jesus? Who do you think you are praying with your children? I know what's in your heart. Who do you think you are showing up at church? You showing up at church? Who are you worshiping God? You really opening your mouth, singing praises to God when your life doesn't reflect your commitment to him at all? He's the accuser. He lies. He's called the father of lies. And that's why we're talking about this. Because if he lies, then we forget the truth God's promises are true, that he's going to act in our lives and act in the world. Have I said this enough? you with me? You see where I'm going on this? And he has a legion of demons with him. He and his demons, other angels, have some measure of freedom to wreak havoc in our lives, including taking people captive. That people actually become captive to the devil's plan. Yikes. I saw the exorcist when I was 13 years old, when it first came out, and I had been a Christian 60 days. I have not recovered. (laughs) But there is some scriptural evidence, clearly, not, not a little, that he can enter into someone and take control of their lives. Are you freaked out right now? This is a reality that the Bible teaches. So we're at war with him and his lies that try to keep us and our hope down. Three insights regarding this battle. One, your strength is from the Lord's power. This is from verse 10. Your strength is from the Lord's power in this battle. We're at war. And your strength at this war is gonna be from the Lord's power. Look back at Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord. Finally, and finally, that comes at the end of a huge book about the spiritual realities of Jesus' salvation. And he he says this word and he goes, goes, and then in the end, this word finally is sort of almost a literal, you know, and and the last thing is, and the only thing left is this for me to tell you. It's sort of like how we say, well, that's all true, but at the end of the day, you be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. There's this battle that has to be fought. But you be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Here's the good news. Well, we were freaked out three minutes ago. Here's the good news. We actually have nothing to fear. Come on now, church. See, this is the deal. We live in one or the other way of thinking about Satan, either that we just ignore, but it's probably not true. It's just a cute little Halloween costume. Or we freak out. We find, quote, the devil under every rock. And we think, oh, man, I could be possessed today, so let me do a little magic potions or do whatever I got to do to keep that from happening. But we actually, we're strong in the Lord's power. We have nothing to fear. I want to read some other verses. If you got your Bible with you, you can flip to them if you're fast, because I want to keep going. I can't do a whole, I mean, I couldn't I can preach the whole Bible on, on Satan and spiritual warfare today, but I wanted to, and I'm going to try. No, Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, verse 18 Paul praying for the Ephesians. Ephesians 1.18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. This is something Paul's saying, you cannot forget this truth. Incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength. You see how he's tying the end of this? Book in verse chapter 6 to this beginning of the book in chapter 1. He says, you be strong in his mighty power. You're in a battle, but you be strong in his mighty power, his mighty strength. And then here he says, listen, I hope you know how unbelievably great this power is. It's the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. That's the Jesus... Or that's the spiritual warfare stuff. He has raised the dead, defeat, sin, and death, and evil uh, kind of power in us. He goes, I hope you don't forget that. So you got nothing to fear there. Colossians, Paul says very similar words. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and following. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made you alive with Christ. Hallelujah. That's the statement of salvation. We've been saved. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. And he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Man, good news. Any amens in the house? Amazing, amazing passage. Verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. He made a public spectacle of the evil powers triumphing over them at the cross. We have nothing to fear, friends. We are strong in his mighty power. And then one more. i got to read one more to you because if I don't get through my whole sermon, you got to hear this. You know, you get the point and you got to know this thing, this, this point that our strength is from the Lord's power. Luke chapter 10. And I so want you to go study all these passages. Will you do that? Okay, just say, yeah, we'll do that, Jeff. Yeah all week. All right. Verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 17. The 72 had been sent out, and they returned with joy and said, this is chapter, Luke 10, chap- verse 17. They said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I know. <laughs> right? That's what Jesus said. Can you imagine? They went out and they did all this ministry, sent them out and they did all this ministry. And they're like, and demons submitted to us in your name. And Jesus said, right, it's awesome. He goes, I know, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, like Jesus like, I could see what was going on. You were defeating him while it was happening. And then he said in verse 19, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Listen, nothing will harm you. I believe there is an enemy who wants to lie and take you out of the game of keeping your hope that God's promises are true. But you have nothing to fear because your strength is in his mighty power. The lie is that he's left us all alone to duke it out. So the truth is our strength is in his mighty power. The lie is that he's left us on our own to duke it out. And so we have this fear of maybe getting possessed. Let me tell you something. A demon cannot possess you if the spirit of God already does. A demon will oppress you. We're at war. A demon will come after you. Because he wants to take you out of the game. But he cannot possess you. He cannot take you captive. Okay? You have nothing to fear. But we have this fear. Oh my gosh, the spiritual reality. I'm, gonna be, I'm afraid that I'm going to get possessed. I'm afraid that I'm just going to get walloped. That was my fear this week, you guys. That's why I said that a few minutes ago. I let you in a little window in my life. I'm just kind of freaking out a little bit. I frankly I ignored my sermon until Thursday. I, did, I didn't want to fight spiritual battle all week long. I was a little terrified of the deal. Then I started asking a few people to pray for me about it. And then my wife left town, town to go to her prayer thing that she does with these women once a year and uh, old friends. And I'm like, oh, no, it's Bible says it's not good for a man to be alone. Like, uh, now I'm alone. She's the spiritual one. I'm living in this fear that I'm going to get taken out. The lie is he's left us to duke it out. Or we live in this fear. We're just going to constantly be defeated Constantly live live in failure, so why bother? But he says, no, these are lies. These are lies. They're hope killers to cause you to give up. The truth says you can be strong in his mighty power, and so we fight. Remember, this is the year of yes. His yes is, I've defeated evil. I've given you authority. Nothing can harm you. Our amen to that, our yes to that is, I'm gonna put up my dukes. And I will win because of the strength of Jesus within me. And so we fight, friends. We fight. That's our yes. I'm going to talk about the fight a little bit before I run out of time this morning. The second reality of this battle we have is, in the scriptures, says, put on the full armor of God because you are in an epic battle. Look at the next couple verses. Verse 11 through 13. Put on the full armor of God. Pulled on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of the heavenly realms. So they, he says it again, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the things are at their worst, when, when evil comes, you will not lose ground is what that literally means. We're in a battle. We're going to be attacked. It's his mission. We have to face it. By the way, if you want to see a little picture of the whole battle thing, read Revelation 12. It's a picture in heaven of the reality that's happened now. The enemy was, he's shown as a dragon there. He was furious, it said, at the church. And he went off to wage war against those who hold to the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. Yikes. So we're going to be in battle, it's going to happen. But this talks about how we fight it. This is how we fight it. One, put on the complete outfit, put on the full armor of God, head to toe. Super fun to preach this text. We went through all the different pieces of the, of the outfit and we're not gonna have time to do that. Put on the complete outfit, head to toe, because in, if we put on all that God has given us, that's how we fight. We put on all of our fight, then we're going to have victory. The reason many of us live in fear that we're going to be walloped is because we have been walloped and have lost the battle so many times. And the reason so many of us have lost the battle so many times and felt like God's not with us, I might as well live in this um, defeat. The reason, I think, is because many of us have left off part of our fight. We've not put on the full armor of God, we've put on the part of the armor of God and left ourselves vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. So if you go back and study that passage about the full armor of God, it's not exhaustive, it's this cool like picture of pieces of armor. But if you look at what it would take to remember the truth and live in the power of Jesus, confession of sin, submitting your life to him, a life of prayer and reflection, a life of of studying God's word in deep and rich ways so you understand what the truth is, living in fellowship so that you're not alone and people are encouraging you with what's true, getting back up after you fail and accepting that Jesus has welcomed you into his kingdom and has gifted you, using your gifts, being in corporate worship, right? There's a whole bunch of armor, Can't you tell, by the way, when you come to corporate worship, it changes your heart, your hope. Part of the reason is because God inhabits the praises of his people, and the enemy can't exist here. He flees. Okay, that's a side point. So, some of us don't put on the full armor. Man, I think I've heard Art say this. Move your feet in because I'm going to step on them right now. We think we're getting away with a partial commitment to Jesus. I go to church periodically. I go in seasons of reading my Bible. I'm not really a prayer, but I do it at the dinner table. And we got holes in the fight that God has given us, and we're subject to his attack, to the enemy's attack. Put on the complete outfit it says, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to take your stand against the enemy's schemes. You may be able to take your stand. You won't give up any ground. I'm just going to skip over this. I said it before. I love the word, don't give up any ground. Here's the point. You don't have to lose. You don't have to lose ground. When we have this big attack that comes our way, we're like, oh, man, i am gone backwards. I've lost it. I'm not going to, you know, like dieting or exercise. Oh, Oh, jeez. I haven't been running for three months. I guess, you know, like, why bother now? Let's turn on the football game, right? You know that deal? You know that deal spiritually, don't you? I got out of the habit and I just haven't, forget it. No, you don't have to lose ground. Take your stand, don't lose ground. And then this point I want you to see in this text about fighting, put on the full armor of God so that you can take his, your stand against the devil's schemes. He's scheming. He's scheming. This is what the word teaches us about the way that he works and I don't want you to miss this. Three descriptions of how he works in the word. One of them is this scheming idea. He's plotting. 1 Peter 5:8. Be self-controlled and alert for your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to take out of the game. He's scheming, he's prowling, he's looking. He's in the what do lions do right? They hunt. When when do the lions hunt? At night in the dark when you can't see clearly. So there's this scheme picture that goes on. Scheming, the scripture says. He also says that he traps. In other words, he's good at luring you closer and closer until you, boom. The scripture uses the words that he traps us. He lures us with something until we go far enough to where we get stuck. Man, right now, I know there are people in their minds thinking of stuff that they have just disasters in their lives where they go, I was lured. By something I was attracted to, and thought I could get away with, till I was stuck. He schemes. He lures, which is he traps. The second one, the third one is he tempts us where we lack self-control. He tempts us. Scripture says he tempts us. He tempts us. The enemy doesn't come with lies that are crazy that you just go what? No. He comes at you with lies that feel true to you and they may not even feel true to the people around you but they feel true to you because of your story and your wounds and your fears they feel true to you and he's smart enough to come and tempt you in that place oh i wish i had more time to talk about that here's an important note to talk about how he, it is that he works and how we battle. So we talked about in this battle, we put on the full outfit, the complete armor of God. We take our stand. We don't have to give up ground and remember that he's scheming. One thing about his scheming thing you need to know, do you know the verse that says, it's in 2 Corinthians 14, it says um, that he masquerades as an angel of light. That that verse freaks us all out because we go, well, then it's hopeless because something good comes my way and I'm going to be like, oh, God's blessing me, <gasps> unless it's the enemy. <laughs> masquerading as an angel of light. You have to just mess up your head. So I got to, listen, he lures and he tempts that way. He can do that. But I want you to understand that verse and understand the, 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 the meaning of it. See, the light, the, the angel of light, he's not masquerading like it's a perfect God interpretation. So you go, I don't know. I'd like to marry this person. It's either God's biggest blessing or the worst lie of the enemy ever. Like, I don't know which. He can't do that good of an impression of God. Masquerading as an angel of light means he's all shiny. Like we go, ooh, something shiny. Look at that. And we get sort of lured toward it. But friends, listen, what it means is angel of light. It means something shiny on the outside. It means it's going to lack the substance of truth upon reflection. Did you hear me? Right here. It looks shiny to start, so it lures us, it attracts us, it distracts us, squirrel, right? (laughs) But upon reflection, it was just a shimmering external look. And once we applied God's truth to it, once we reflected on it, it lacked the substance of truth. Here's a perfect example about it. Not too long ago, an article in the newspaper about an armored vehicle that went around the curve on an overpass and flipped over the top, landed on a street in downtown Atlanta, and $300,000 went out into the wind. And they interviewed all the people who went down there grabbing money like a game show— carrying bags and loads of money away, they recovered like $6,000. And then they went back out and investigated. Were you there? Did you see anybody? No. People said no. The worst part for me was when they interviewed people who said, well, I didn't tell the police because it was a gift from God to me. Ooh, shiny, (laughs) lured into this, look what God has provided. But upon reflection and you apply the rest of God's character and truth to it, it does not stand up and it is clearly a lie. He masquerades as an angel of light and all we do is apply God's truth to that and we go, what? No." You put on the full armor of God because we're in an epic battle. The lie is that Satan's not. Lie is that Satan is not concerned about you. And you're not in a battle. He's thinking my stuff's just natural. He's not, I just not well. I just want to tell you, you're in an epic battle. And I don't think there's any other way for you to explain the consistent strategic waves that come your way to take you out of the game. Do some reflecting on that. The last one I'm not going to have time for. This third one is really important. This battle, how we fight this battle, it starts and ends with a rigorous pursuit, relentless pursuit of biblical spiritual truth. Just that list of the the armor, it starts with the belt of truth and it ends with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Because, friends, the truth is well, this is the truth. He's the father of lies, so we need the truth. You have to know what is true, or you will be lost. He wants to take the word of God away from us. We know that? The the parable of the, the sower and the seed, the first seed landed on the path, and the birds came and snatched it away. Remember this? The word of God landed and and they said to Jesus, what's the meaning of of that story? Jesus said, well, the seed is the word of God and the word of God landed and the evil one, Jesus says, comes and snatches it away before it can take root. The enemy will try to get you out of God's word so he can lie to you and you have no truth to compare it to the lies. I'll ask it again. Have you heard me say this? Are you a man of God's word? You know the truth. Are you a woman so steeped in God's word that you think God's thoughts? The lie is, no, this is just how my life's gonna be. There doesn't need to be any more truth to the situation. This is the truth and we settle for the lie. My life's hard, change isn't gonna happen. God's far from me. I'm failing as a Christian. So forget it. So forget it. Dan, I want you to come up because we're going to worship in response to this message this morning. That is precisely where the enemy wants us. And then we come and put up our fight and we grab God's truth and we apply it to all of those lies. Are you adept at applying God's truth to all of his enemies' lies? I mean, here's a perfect example. I'm failing as a Christian. Forget it. Ray does a good job in his book of pointing out, wait, um, except the scriptures say, there's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I've taken your sin and cast it as far as the East is from the West. I will forgive your wickedness and will remember it no more. God, Here's my wickedness. What? I don't remember that. That's the truth. And so we go, I'm going to stay away from God because I'm failing. The enemy goes, stay away from God. You're failing. Forget it. It doesn't work for you. And he has the victory. Are you adept at applying God's truth to the enemy's lies? Do you feel overwhelmed? Does it just feel overwhelmed? It feels overwhelming to me. I'm going to leave you as we worship with this encouragement. James 4, 7. Here's your fight. Here's your hope. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the enemy and he will flee from you. Let's do the work, friends. Let's stand and worship God and submit to him.